0: Boys and Girls Two-Footed Podcast. Today is Wednesday the 26th of April. Hope you're all well. Before we get started, quite excited to announce this, we have a new podcast on the EPL Index feed, so you can check out the Boise Bus, that is B-H-O-Y-C-I-E-B-U-S, the Boise Bus, hosted by Russell Boyce and his brother Jonathan. As the name would suggest they are celtic fans and this is one of the best celtic pods out there they've been going for a while they've been doing well they've decided to come on board with ourselves and they've also got a youtube channel if you fancy checking them out there again it's boise bus b-h-o-y-c-i-e b-u-s so do check that out check the lads out give them a listen listen Even if you're not a Celtic fan, listening to people talk in Scottish accents is always great. Because no matter what they say, it's going to sound funny. So give the lads a listen. It is a good podcast. I do promise you that. If you are a Celtic fan, I think this is a must-listen for you. Right. Moving on. Last night in the Premier League, we had three games. Wolverhampton Wanderers 2. Crystal Palace nil. Massive win for Wolves. They go ahead on three minutes... Through a jockey Manderson own goal. Then they did get outplayed. And if not for Jose Sa, They probably find themselves 2-1 behind. He makes two absolutely outrageous saves. The first is a close range half volley. From Albert Sambi-Laconga. I don't know how he gets his hand out. It's one of the great reflex saves of the season. Manages to keep it out. The second is from a dipping volley from Eberici Eze. The technique of this is ridiculous. Edge of the box, great control, dipping volley with the left foot, and it's an amazing save by Jose Sa. <clears throat> Eze and Elise were properly on it last night, and the quality of delivery and quality of shooting we saw from at least say in terms of deliver- delivery and shooting from Eze was really high. Um, but it was all for nothing because Wolves wrapped up the game on 94 minutes. It's a shocker. It's an absolute shocker from Johnston in the Palace net. Simple ball played back to him. Takes a horrendous heavy first touch and then leaps towards the ball with both feet in the air makes contact with Pedro Neto, takes him down, penalty given, Ruben Neves steps up, he scores, and it is 2-0, and Wolves have all three points. That puts Wolves on 37 points. They're now nine points clear of the relegation zone. Admittedly, they have played a game more than Everton. But still, you would have to imagine that is Wolves pretty much safe. I would say one more point will confirm them for next season in the Premier League. But as things stand, I think them and Palace, who also have 37 points, can pretty much be comfortable now that they're going to be in the division next season. Palace have five games left. Those are home to West Ham in the early kickoff on Saturday. Should be a good one. Then away to Spurs. Then home to Bournemouth. Away to Fulham, and then home to Crystal. Uh, sorry, home to Nottingham Forest on the last day of the season. So three three London derbies, and two games against teams below them in the table who are battling for relegation. Uh, battling against relegation. There's definitely points for Palace to pick up there. Palace are going to be fine. Uh, Wolves also have five games left. They have Brighton away on Saturday, then in-form Villa at home, then they go to Manchester United, then they play Everton at home, and then they go to Arsenal final day. So that's a really tough run-in. The Everton game, I think, is one they'll target to win because they won't want to end the season on a five-game losing streak. They could well pick up a point or even three in one of the other games, but I do think they'll look at that Everton game as one they can win at home. Uh moving on then, Aston Villa won Fulham nil. Tyron Mings with the only goal of the game. Villa just dominated this game. F- Fulham had one shot in the whole game. None on target. Villa created the best chances. Ollie Watkins went close a couple of times. Villa not only had more of the ball but also created a number of good counter-attacking opportunities. Uh, Ming's goal was a header from a corner really nice corner from John McGinn Ming's made a little run to the front post got the flick on whether he was flicking it on towards goal or towards the back post I don't know but it finds its way in and credit to him it's a good goal and Villa will be thrilled by said goal and by the three points which keeps up their challenge for a Europa League spot next season now they're currently in fifth place On 54 points. One point ahead of Spurs. Though they have played a game more. And Spurs have a better goal difference. They're four points ahead of Liverpool. But Liverpool have a much better goal difference. And have two games in hand. They're only five points behind Manchester United. For the Champions League spots. But United do have three games in hand. So unlikely that Villa can bridge that gap. But I do think a Europa League spot is looking quite likely for them. This season, I think them and Liverpool will take the Europa League spots this year. Then I think it's Spurs or Brighton for that Conference League spot, and Brighton have three games in hand on Spurs. So I would give the edge them. Now Brighton also have four games in hand on Villa, and there's only four points between them. But Brighton have some injuries, and I could see Derby De maybe starting to use some of the younger players over the next couple of games. Just to see what he has ahead of next season. I still think Brighton would be my pick to get the Conference League. And look, if Brighton get into Europe, regardless of which competition, it's a great achievement. And if it's the Conference League, Brighton could go and win that next season. They really could go and win that next season and it would be an amazing achievement for them. Given where they were 15 years ago, given where they were when I used to go regularly when I lived in in Brighton, To see them thriving in the Premier League and potentially going into Europe is is genuinely amazing and a huge credit has to go to Tony Bloom. What a what an incredible tenure as owner he's had. He's built that club from literally the ground up. They've got a fantastic stadium, a brilliant infrastructure, their scouting network is insane, their analytics department is incredible. They're the model club. And as I've said before, they lost their director of football before the summer. It didn't make any difference. And then they lost their manager a week into the well, a week after the transfer window closed, and they went and upgraded on that. And they just continued to move forward. They took 82 million pounds from Chelsea <coughs> for. Kukurea and Potter and, and a couple more million for other staff that were nicked they brought in Deserby didn't cost them anything they brought in Estupin and I think he cost them 18 million something like that could have been 20 either way what a what a buy he's been he's been incredible that partnership down the left with Matoma has been amazing and I think Brighton will be thrilled to have upgraded the two spots and made 60 odd million in the process um. Anyway, I've gone away from what I was talking about, which was Aston Villa, and I really do think Unai Emery deserves incredible amounts of credit here. What a job he's done! They looked like a lost cause when he took over. They were so poor under Stephen Gerrard. They looked completely idea, if if uh, shorn of ideas, they looked like they had no belief in themselves. 21st of October, Gerrard was sacked. At that point in the Premier League, they had played 11 games and won only two of them. And they were in like 17th place. 17th place. Now they're fifth that could have obviously changed they might end this match week in sixth and that's fine that's still a great achievement what a turnaround gerard took 12 points i believe from his time in charge it might have been less it was less because one of those wins was under the caretaker manager so gerard took 9 points from 11 games then the caretaker, was it was a Danks, John Danks. He won one game. And then Emery took over. And they've just been fantastic since. They've had a couple of losing spells, obviously. But it's been an outstanding performance by Unai Emery. Really, really impressive. And they just continue to turn in good performance after good performance. And that's now 10 games unbeaten in the Premier League for Aston Villa. I have no idea when the last time Aston Villa would have gone 10 games unbeaten in the Premier League. But I bet it was a long, long time ago. It was probably Martin O'Neill's tenure. I wouldn't imagine it was any time since. Because they definitely didn't do it under Dean Smith. They could barely string three games unbeaten together under Dean Smith. Uh, prior to that, they were in the championship, obviously, for... A few years after the um after the Tim sherwood Remy guard fiasco of fifteen sixteen but I would bet they certainly didn't win i mean their longest unbeaten run that season was three uh which was one win and two draws. They did manage to lose uh eleven games in a row, which was quite quite a spectacular thing uh that season. Let's keep looking back. When would they have gone 10 in a row without defeat? Wasn't under Paul Lambert, I don't think. Though I do remember people talking about Paul Lambert and saying um, he was destined for the top. Uh, The best run under Lambert that season was five unbeaten. Lambert in his first season. No, definitely not that year either. Certainly not under Alex McLeish when they finished 16th. Um, I wouldn't imagine the mess of a 10-11 season where O'Neill left early in the year garnered anything good, a couple of three games and a four game unbeaten run. Uh, Martin O'Neill, they finished 6th this year, so this is a good chance to maybe be it. Uh yeah, there we go. Oh nine ten, the last time Villa went ten games unbeaten, but in that run they only won three. In this run, I think they've won seven. But the season before that, they also finished in sixth. Mm, yeah, here we go. Here we go. Um, this is an eleven game unbeaten run in the league from starting on the 20th of December they beat West Ham and the last game unbeaten was the 7th of 7th of February they beat Blackburn and they lost to Everton I would that's the last time that and the next season they had 10-11 game unbeaten runs but the 10-11 season was mostly draws Uh, Like I said, this season, it's been eight wins and two draws, which is tremendous. They play Manchester United next. And if they can go through that game without losing, that will match that o nine ten 9 10 season uh, under Martin O'Neill of eight wins and three draws in an 11-game run. Villa have United away... Wolves away, Spurs at home, Liverpool away, Brighton at home. That's a really tough run-in. It is a really tough run-in. And it'll be a big test of this team because they have improved immeasurably since Emery took over. And if they could potentially pull out 10 points from the 15 left available to them, I think that will be a great achievement would get them to 64 points, should probably secure them Europa League football. Uh, as for Fulham, I mean, the season's over for them. They don't need to do anything more. They're on 45 points. They sit in ninth. They're six points clear of Chelsea, though Chelsea have played a game less. And I think as as things stand, they're, they're just you know delighted with how things have happened. And they'll be looking forward to next season. Uh, They've got six games left. They've got Man City at home, which is tough. Then they go to Anfield. Then they get Leicester at home. Then set Hampton away. Those are both winnable games for them. Crystal Palace at home is a winnable game. And then they finish off away to Manchester United. Uh, Our final game from last night then. Leeds won. Leicester City won. This is disappointing for Leeds. Now, Leicester fully deserved the draw. A draw was the fair result. In this game. Yuri Tielemans thought he put Leicester one up with an absolute worldly of a strike from the edge of the box, but Sumare had been offside just beforehand. And Leeds went down and Sinister scored from a Jack Harrison cross. Nice header at the back post. And Leeds managed to hold that lead despite some typically calamitous defending. They held that lead until the eightieth minute. When Liam Cooper makes the bizarre decision to be firstly miles out of position he's basically playing he's playing left side centre back he finds himself in the right side centre back spot he jumps in on Iannaccio doesn't get near the ball Iannaccio plays through I think Madison and Madison finds Barnes no Madison finds Vardy and Vardy finishes all while Luke Ayling is stood looking around, you know, waiting for a whistle or whatever he was doing. Um, just, just poor defending, poor, poor defending. But a good finish by Jamie Vardy, a well-deserved goal for Leicester. I think Leicester will definitely be the happier of the two with that point. What it means is that these sides sit 16th and 17th, leads on 30 points, Leicester. On 29 points, Leicester have the better goal difference. It's four points from the last two games for Leicester, which is starting to give them a bit of hope. They're a point clear of Everton, two points clear of Forrest, five points clear of Southampton. They have played a game more than all of those teams, and Leeds have played like the same amount of games as Leicester. Leeds, five games remaining. Away to Bournemouth, that game is massive. Absolutely massive because if you look at the rest of the fixtures, it's very tough. Away to Manchester City, home to a rampant Newcastle. Away to West Ham, who might be safe by then and might be resting players for the Conference League. So potentially that's somewhere they could go and win. And then Spurs at home on the final day of the season, you just don't know what Spurs will turn up. Uh, For Leicester, Everton next. Massive, massive game. Must win for both teams. Then they go to Fulham. And I think they can win at Fulham. Then they play Liverpool at home. They have done quite well against Liverpool at the King Power in recent years. Then they go to Newcastle. That's going to be a nightmare. And they finish off at home to West Ham which West Ham should be safe. That should be a winnable game. I think Leicester are going to be okay. I think the fixtures have worked out well for them. I think if they can beat Everton and beat West Ham at home and potentially take one point from Fulham, that will get them to 36 points, which I think is going to be enough. I don't think Everton in their remaining six six games will take Will take nine points, so I don't think Everton will climb over them. Now Everton might climb over Leeds, but Leicester will climb over Leeds as well. I think Leicester are going to be okay. I think it's going to come down to Leeds and Everton. Unfortunately for Forrest, I think they're they're going to find their way down. I'd love them to stay up. I really would. And I'm I'm really hopeful that they can pull something out of the bag. But they're going to have to win, I think, three games to stay up. And there are winnable games there. There's a couple of home games that I think they can win, uh, including a game tonight when they take on Brighton in a 7.30 kickoff. Brighton, I think, could be on a bit of a low coming off the weekend, a bit of a heartbreaking loss to Manchester United in a cup semi-final in which they were the better team. They're also going to be without a couple of players tonight. Uh, Brighton will have no Lalana, no Ferguson, no Welbeck, no Motor, no Sarmiento and no Lampty. So without Welbeck and without Ferguson, who's playing up front? That's the big question. Um, De Zerbi has said he thinks Buena is going to start in this game on the right wing instead of Sully March I think that's exciting but I do wonder where the goals will come from perhaps in Cecil but I think this is an opportunity for Forrest I think they can win this game Now Forrest themselves have loads of injuries because they're Forrest no Kone, no Wood, no McKenna, no Bolly, no, uh, no Aurier, no Coyate, no Yates. Scarpa's a doubt, Colbeck's a doubt. Shelby, I, I'd be surprised if he plays again. Uh, Omar Richards is out and Dean Henderson is out. Uh, Scott McKenna fractured his collarbone at the weekend in the Liverpool game and tried to play on, which will tell you how tough that fella is. Um, But a bunch of these guys are out for the season. So it is going to be tough for Forrest. But I think they can get something tonight. And then we can have a look at them tomorrow. That is the 7.30 kickoff. At 7.45, there are two games. Chelsea versus Brentford is the first one. Now, we got the news yesterday that Reese James is out for the season. And I did a little bit of digging on this because... I was curious about Rhys James and his injuries because he, he does seem to be injured quite a lot. So there's seven games left in Chelsea's season. He's going to miss all of them. And that will mean he'll have missed 25 games through injury or illness this season. And only one of them was illness. Last season, he missed 20 games. The season before, he missed nine. And the season before that, he misses, he missed 23. That's 76 games in four seasons. That's two full seasons worth of Premier League games. Now, obviously, those encompass all competitions, but just consider that. Consider somebody missing basically two full Premier League seasons in four years. And it's not like he's had an ACL tear, or an Achilles, or a patella tendon, or a broken bone. It's all muscle injuries, and that's a real concern. And I do wonder if someone needs to sit down with him and say, look, you're a phenomenally talented footballer. You are a tremendous player, but you look like a bodybuilder, and you probably don't need to and maybe try and... Now, I'm not saying he's heavy, but he's very muscular. He looks like a guy that spends a lot of time lifting weights, and might not be the best approach for him. But at his age, to already be having these injury problems is quite concerning. And I do wonder if Real Madrid, or whoever came in with a $75 offer for him this summer, would it be worth Chelsea at least considering it? Because if he can't play for 25 games in a season, that's a real worry. Now, they've got Malo Augusto coming in this summer, and that's going to help hugely. He'll help split split the minutes. He's ready to go straight away. Super talented. But I do just wonder, given Chelsea's issues with FFP... Would it be worth them considering a big option, a big offer if it came in? And say putting 50 million of it towards the FFP fund and going and buying another right back for somewhere in the region of 25 million, you'd probably go cheaper. You could probably go and get Max Ahrens for 15 million and have Gusto as the starter and Ahrens as a good backup. Or if you've got a buyback clause on Terry Glampty, maybe you go and buy him. Maybe you go and buy Tino Livermento. Now, I know they've both had injury problems as well, but they might be cheaper if you've got buyback options at certain prices. Um, no Brogia, no Mount, no Koulibaly, no Reese James, and Kai Havertz is a doubt for Chelsea tonight. Uh, for Brentford, no Pontus Janssen, no Keen Lewis Potter, no Thomas Strakosha, who hasn't played all season, uh, no Christian Norgard which is a blow for them. And Christoph Ayer is a major doubt and he's missed a lot of the season as well. Um, At home, I fancy Chelsea to win. Uh, Brentford, I think their season is is over. Uh, They're currently 10th in the league. They're going to be in the Premier League next season. They're in poor form at the moment. And I do think Chelsea maybe can just get some points on the board here. Uh, Chelsea have no wins in five, three defeats in those five. Lampard has lost all four games since taking over. I think this might be where he gets his first win. The other 7.45 kickoff is West Ham versus Liverpool. West Ham's only injury is Gianluca Scamacca. And I only saw this today. David Moyes was asked about him on the 16th of April. And he said the following. All I know is he had knee surgery. We're awaiting clear information on exactly what's been done. We don't know if it was a washout. We don't know if anything has been removed, floating bone. I've just not got the answer to that. That does not sound like a healthy situation at all. And there has been rumours that he, he, Skimeca, would like to leave. He doesn't want to play for Moyes anymore. Now, I've said multiple times I think Moyes should go this summer. I think it's time for West Ham to move on. But if Moyes wins the Conference League, it's going to be hard to just turn around and say, right, thanks a million, good luck. In which case, Skamac is probably going to try and force his way out the door. Um, now, that's, you know, he hasn't had a good season, so he's not really in a position to be too demanding. But West Ham invested a lot of money in him. And for it to seemingly be this bad this early in the relationship really doesn't speak well. Liverpool have no Calvin Ramsey, no Stefan Besetic, no Naby Keita, no Bobby Firmino. And Ibu Kanata is a doubt for tonight's game. I think Liverpool will probably make some changes from the team that's played the last few games. West Ham have found a bit of form, admittedly helped by the scheduling. Bournemouth, Southampton, they're easier games. Fulham on the beach and a bit of a spawny goal. Liverpool have done well. Traditionally against West Ham, they've beaten them more than any other team that they've played in the Premier League, I believe. So, I think Liverpool can get the win here, but I don't feel confident about it. This Liverpool team doesn't inspire confidence right now, especially away from home. I know they beat Leeds last time out in the Premier League, uh, in their last away game, I should say. But their home form this season has just been atrocious. Sorry, their away from this season has just been atrocious. And I don't really fancy them to go to London in a midweek game and win. Four wins, four draws and eight defeats away from home this season. A minus five goal difference. Drew with Fulham, lost to Manchester United. Drew with Everton. Lost to Arsenal. Lost to Forest. Beat Spurs. First away win of the season. Away to Spurs. Beat Villa. Hammered by Brentford. Hammered by Brighton. Hammered by Wolves. Beat Newcastle. Drew with Crystal Palace. And beat Leeds. So three of their four wins have come against teams that are actually above them in the table. Spurs, Newcastle and Villa. But they've lost away to bad teams this season. And West Ham are a bad team this season. So I don't fancy Liverpool. I'm going to pick a draw here. I'm going to go 1-1. I'll go 2-1 Chelsea. And I'll go 2-1 Forest in the other games. And then we have the main event, maybe of the season. 8pm kickoff. Manchester City at home to Arsenal. City's only absentee will be Nathan Ackie. Now that is a blow because he's been really, really good this season. Um, I think he's been the best left back in the league. For Arsenal, no Tomiyasu, no Neni, no Saliba, they're hopeful that Granit Xhaka will be back. But it remains to be seen. I fancy City to win this game. I fancy them to win the domestic double. I think this game will cement them as you know the favourites to win the third title in a row it'll mean a two point gap with two games in hand and when we look at the run in for them I think it's a bit more straightforward after Arsenal they go Fulham West Ham, Leeds, there's three wins, then Everton win, Chelsea at home should be a win and if they win all of those games going into the final two games which are Brighton away and Brentford away, they'll only need two points. And that's assuming Arsenal win every game. But I don't think Arsenal will win every game. Because if we look at Arsenal's run-in after this game, they get Chelsea home, that's a win. Newcastle away, I think they drop points. Brighton home, I think they drop points. They'll beat Forrest, they'll beat Wolves. But if they drop points in one game, and I think they will at Newcastle, then City can wrap the league up even easier. I think the league will be City's to lose after tonight. I think City will win that game. I'm going to go 3-1 to Manchester City. I don't see how that Arsenal backline is going to stop Haaland in the form he's currently in. City have Foden back, which is another creative player who causes Arsenal trouble. Grealish has always done well against Arsenal. Mahrez does well against Arsenal. Arsenal are capable, without question. But we've seen them get punched in the face multiple times in recent weeks and they haven't really reacted well. They go two up against Liverpool, they get smacked in the mouth and they crumble. Two up against West Ham, smacked in the mouth and crumble. Southampton smacked smacked them in the mouth from the off. Now they did battle back, but that had as much to do with Southampton as it did with, with themselves. So... I think City win tonight and I think Arsenal will lose to Newcastle on the 7th of May which will put City top and still they'll have two games in hand. Um, that is tonight's games then. seven thirty, two at 7.45 and one at 8pm. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to have a look again at the Championship League 1 and League 2 because there was games last night. We'll see how they shake out. I'm we'll have a little waffle about a bit of few other things. See in a sec. The Two Footed Podcast is brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC player to watch Match of the Day, or ITV Hub, or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services, while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that. To the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package which is instantly downloadable to your device and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Right, welcome back. So, championship last night. We had the one game. Blackburn versus Burnley. And Burnley win 1-0 through Manuel Benson. Confirming themselves... As championship champions. 95 points so far. From their 44 games. They are 13 points clear. Though Sheffield United do have two games in hand. Burnley's last two games are away to Bristol. Who are 14th. And home to Cardiff who are 20th. They need five points. To hit the 100 point barrier. So they need to win both games. Nobody has accomplished 100 points in the championship since Leicester back in 13-14. Now, they got 102 points, which is more than Burnley can manage this season. But Burnley will have a better defensive record than that Leicester team. And they will score more goals than that Leicester team. Right now, they've got 82. Leicester scored 83. And when you look at the last number of years, you see what an achievement this is. So taking from the season after Leicester's great campaign, Bournemouth topped the league with 90 points. Then it's Burnley themselves with 93. Newcastle with 94. Wolves with 99. And many people claim that's the best championship side that they've seen. Then Norwich with 94. Leeds with 93. Norwich again with 97. Both of those Norwich promotions under Daniel Farke. And then last season, obviously, Fulham with 90. So to get to 100 points would be incredible. But even 95 is fairly special. And when you consider that when Vincent Kompany took over, he basically had to rebuild the entire squad because they lost quite a few players. In the summer, Nick Pope left, Phil Bardsley left, Aaron Lennon left, Ben Mee left, Eric Peters left, Dale Stevens left, James Tarkovsky left, Wayne Hennessy left, Kevin Long left, Ashley Westwood left. And all of them left for free. Now, they did bring in a £10 million fee for Nick Pope. They got £20 million for Nathan Collins. They got £20 million for Dwight McNeil. And they got £17.5 million. For Max Cornet. So they did bring in quite a bit of money. But remember, their owners had to make a, a big loan payment and were staring down the barrel because they'd gone down. They've worked really well in terms of who they've brought in, both permanently and on loan. Scott Twine, quality player. Luke McNally, quality centre-back. Hasn't gotten his opportunity at Burnley, but has gone to Coventry and been excellent. CJ Egan Riley, Samuel Bastian, Josh Cullen, Arjenet muridge Vitinho, Manuel Benson, uh, Shirlinov, Zaruri, Marcel Lewis. Then in January they went out and brought in Ekdal and Lyle Foster. On loan they've brought in Taylor Hay- Hayward, Taylor, Hay- Hay- Taylor. Harwood Bellis from Man City. I assume they'll get to keep him again next season. They brought in Ian Mattson from Chelsea on loan. Again, I think they'll look to keep him for next season. They brought in Nathan Tella, Jordan Beyer, um Visiglou, and Michael Mafemi And I think they'll probably try and buy him outright. But what's been really impressive to me is how they've shared goals around. Like they haven't... They haven't massively had to um, rely on one player to consistently find goals. They've just spread them around, and I think that's really impressive. And I've really enjoyed watching Burnley this season. They've only lost three games. They lost early in the season to Watford in the third game of the season because they had a bit of a rough start. They won the first game away to Huddersfield, and then they drew four and lost one of the next four. Then they won two in a row. Then they won only one of their next five. But in October, things really settled for them. And all those new players started to mesh. And Company figured out what he wanted to do. And from there, they just went in a fantastic run. Back-to-back wins, then a draw. Then four wins in a row. Then a defeat to Sheffield United. Then they won ten in a row. And that separated them from the pack. And since then, the form has been a little bit spotty at times. There's been a lot of draws mixed in with wins. But the only defeat was a week ago to QPR, which they'd already sealed promotion. And QPR are fighting for their for their survival. So I don't think it was a bad, bad result in the grand scheme of things. They bounced back. They beat Blackburn. And they get themselves promoted. And I do think company deserves massive credit. And I hope he stays. Because there's been some talk that there's a couple of Premier League teams eyeing him. Palace have been mentioned. Spurs were mentioned. Leeds were mentioned. I I think he should stick at Burnley. I'd like to see him build on what he's accomplished there so far. And he won't need to do the mass amount of recruitment that he did last season he'll be able to pick and choose his moments a bit better. Pick and choose who he wants to bring in. And there's a lot of players that he brought in last summer, the likes of Scott Twine, who have more to offer next season. Same with Luke McNally. These players will have more to offer next season than they have this season. Whether that's just because they're more settled, more comfortable with what company's asking for them. They'll be Undoubtedly, a couple of additions, so they'll have some better teammates around them as well. I just think it's very, very impressive. And I do, the one thing I'm really curious to see is what happens with Weghorst. Because obviously, they loaned him out last summer, um, initially to Besiktas, and then to Manchester United. And I wonder, will he stay with them now, this upcoming season? And how company would use him? If not, they'll have to sell him and they'll probably take a loss on what they paid. I think he'd be worth keeping because I do think he offers something very different to what they've shown this season and can be a you know kind of a plan B for them. But I'm very, very impressed with what I've seen from Burnley this year. Tonight we've got two games in the Championship. Sheffield United home to West Brom. West Brom need the points to try and get into the playoff spots. And Rotherham home to Cardiff, which is a big one for Cardiff, because they still need points to stay in the division now, Rotherham do as well, but I fancy Rotherham's chance of staying up a bit more than Cardiff's if I'm being completely honest um we also had some games last night in League one, Lincoln City nil Burton one Barnsley nil Ipswich three. Oxford 4, Cheltenham nil. Huge win for Oxford down at the bottom. Plymouth 2, Bristol Rovers nil. And Bolton nil, Accrington Stanley 1. That's a bad defeat for Bolton because they need the points right now. As things stand, Plymouth are top, then it's Ipswich. They will come up automatically as things stand. Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday are four points behind Ipswich. There are two games left. A win in their next game will guarantee promotion for both Plymouth and Sheffield. Sorry, Plymouth and Ipswich. Plymouth are home to Burton and then away to Port Vale. Burton are 16th, Port Vale are 18th. I think it's a fair bet that Plymouth are coming up automatically. Um, Ipswich are home to Exeter and away to Fleetwood. Exeter are 14th. Fleetwood are 12th. I think it's a fair bet they'll win one of those two. That would leave Sheffield Wednesday, Barnsley, Bolton, and Derby as the playoff teams. But Peterborough are only two points behind Derby and Bolton and could still jump in. So Sheffield Wednesday, assuming Plymouth and Ipswich win one of their games, Sheffield Wednesday will be in the playoffs. Barnsley are confirmed in the playoffs. Bolton and Derby are still looking over their shoulders a little bit. Now, Bolton have Fleetwood next and then Bristol Rovers away. Derby have Portsmouth home and Sheffield Wednesday away, which is tough. And Peterborough, Bristol Rovers home, Barnsley away. Now, Barnsley will have nothing to play for in that game. Sheffield Wednesday might have nothing to play for, so those might suit the opponents, but it's going to be interesting between those teams. To see who manages to find a playoff spot. And then what happens in the playoffs. In League 2. We had a couple of games last night. Grimsby 2. Crew Alexander 0. Swindon 0. Stevenage 1. Mansfield 1. Leighton Orient 2. And Newport County 2. Harrogate 3. Down to earth comes Swindon. After their rollicking win. Away to AFC Wimbledon at the weekend. 5-1 away from home. Uh, beating, beating them 1-0 at home in the follow-up by a Stevenage team that they probably would have fancied the chances against. Even though Stevenage are a playoff team and Swindon are a mid-table team, I think they would have been fairly confident that they could have taken something there. Um, three teams coming up, and I've done Stevenage a disservice because they're currently in the final automatic spot. Late Norida champions, they're coming up. Northampton basically need one more point and that should be enough for them. Um, They're a point clear of Stevenage. Then it's Stockport, Carlisle, Salford, Bradford, Mansfield. So the third and final playoff spot, sorry, the fourth and final playoff spot is still wide open. Any of Stockport, Carlisle, Salford and Bradford could still drop out. But Bradford do have a game in hand. That game in hand is against Crewe. Uh, which you'd expect them to win. That game will be played on the 3rd of May. You'd expect them to win that game. And that should cement them. But it's uh, it's going to be a good finish to the League 2 campaign as well. So it's not just the Premier League that's going to have a pretty good ending. I think all the divisions, there's there's drama for the playoffs, for some of the automatic promotion spots. And certainly at the bottom of the table, in all of these divisions. Right, before we go to the gossip, I want to address this thing that I saw on Twitter about Neymar. Um because I'm just I'm sick to the back teeth of hearing about Neymar and how he's got the streets, whatever that means. Like, my assumption means his clips make a good YouTube compilation, but when we look at Neymar's career, are we Are we really impressed by what he's done with his talent? Because I'm not. He came to Barcelona and genuinely I thought this kid is going to win multiple Ballon d'Ors. This is the guy who's going to lead the next generation of great players. He'll be the one that takes on the mantle from Messi and... And moves forward. His first season in La Liga. He gets. Sorry with Barca. 15 goals. 15 assists. Across all competitions. Plays 41 games. About 2,900 minutes in all competitions. It's a good season. Not a great season. But it's a good settling in season. 14-15. He's pretty outrageous. 39 goals. 10 assists. Now bear in mind. When I say 39 goals. At this point. Everybody in Spain is putting up big numbers but he plays 51 games, plays 4,100 4, minutes, and he is outrageous. And he's vital in Barca winning the Champions League scores in both quarterfinals, both semi finals in the final. He's probably the fifth best player in the team. You've got Messi and Suarez. You've got Busquets and Iniesta. Now, in that Champions League run, he might well have been the most important player. But overall, he's probably the fifth best player. But he's still really young. Like at that point, he's 23. And you're thinking, this is phenomenally good. This is going to be special. 15-16, again, he is exceptionally good. Again, there's better players in the Barca team. But he's playing his role perfectly. 49 appearances, 31 goals, 25 assists. About 4,500 minutes. His last season at Barca doesn't go as well. Now, we have at this point have no idea that this is his last season at Barca. Um, plays 45 times, about 4,000 minutes. Does get 20 goals and 26 assists. But he's not nearly as impactful. And his assist numbers are padded a bit by the fact he got four against a Celtic team in a 7-0 win. Um, but he's just not nearly as impactful As he had been. Now it could have been that he came back tired from the Olympics. I don't know. Then he moves. At the age of 25. He takes the decision. To move to Paris Saint-Germain. And I'm sorry. But he's become a part-time footballer. And you can point at numbers all you want. But he's playing. In a sub league. And this is why I don't buy. Too much into the Mbappe numbers. Let me see what you can do. I think Mbappe, I think Mbappe is incredible, but I'm not buying into his league numbers. I'm going to put him up alongside the greats based on what he's doing in the French league. Neymar plays 30 games in his first league, a first a first campaign with PSG, just over 2,700 minutes. Okay, so that's well below what he's been doing at Barcelona in year. And he only played 20 league games, by the way, in year two. He plays 28 games, about 2,400 minutes, and only plays 17 league games. We move on to year three. And again, 27 games, about 2,400 minutes, 15 league games. Into the 20, 2021 season, plays 31 games. 2,300 minutes, 18 league games. And his numbers dip significantly that year as well. Uh, Last season, 28 games, 22 in the league. That's the most he's played since joining. But again, he's right around 2,300 minutes. And then this season, season that's now over for him because he's injured again, he played 29 games. Under 2,400 minutes. And 20 league matches. What did PSG buy him to do? Because I don't think they bought him to do this. I don't think they bought him. To play half the games. I don't think they're paying him. Whatever ludicrous fee it is that he's getting. For half the games. They haven't. Performed in the Champions League since he arrived. They got to the final once. He no-showed the final. He's constantly injured. Missed the second leg with Bayern this year. When PSG needed him badly. Last season didn't really show up against Real Madrid as they went out in the last 16. The previous year doesn't perform at all. Against Man City. In the semi-finals. 19 They did reach the final. But. He didn't play well at all in the final. And remember. That was the weird year. Where the quarter-finals and semi-finals. Were one leg. And PSG were a little bit lucky. To get past Atalanta. 18-19. He gets injured, he misses the last 16 against Manchester United, and they go out. And 17-18, he misses the second leg of the last 16 against Real, having stanked the place out in the first leg, and they go out. So, since he went there, that's three last 16 exits, a quarter-final, a semi-final, and a final. That's not what they bought him for. That's not what they paid this amount of money for. They paid two hundred million to buy him. Neymar is an incredible talent, but he has wasted his talent. And for me, he is the biggest waste of talent in the history of the game. Now, I don't care what he's done for Brazil, because international football doesn't really move me at all. So the fact that he's got eighty or seventy-seven goals in one hundred and twenty-four games. It doesn't really faze me all that much at all. What's he won with them? Like, what has he won? The Olympics? No. Oh, he did. He won the Olympics in 2016. Sorry. My, My apologies. He won the Olympics. He hasn't won a Copa America. And he hasn't won a World Cup. And if you play for Brazil and you don't win one of them, you, you don't get to class yourself as a great player. When they did win at Copa America, he wasn't there. So they have won one during his tenure. He just wasn't there. And, I mean, the thing for me is I look at the goal-scoring record and he's tied with Pelé. But Pelé played 32 games less. He passed Ronaldo. Ronaldo played a lot less games. He passed Romario. Romario played a lot less games. His goals per game is below Pele, Adamor Romario, Zico and Ronaldo. And people say, oh, he plays it. He takes penalties. Takes all the set pieces. Does no work off the ball. Yeah, he's a tremendous dribbler. And I'm sure you can put together a laundry list of players that he's embarrassed. But he doesn't facilitate winning. And hasn't since that Champions League season. And let's remember, Suarez at his peak. Messi at his peak. Busquets at his peak. Iniesta probably just at the tail end of his peak, but still great. Like, that's still one of the great teams that's ever been put together. So, could they have won it without him? I, I think they probably could have won it without him. I think if you put just a good player there, it doesn't need to be a Neymar, I think they can win that competition without him. You get Ter Stegen, Dani Alves, Pique, Mascherano, Alba, Rakitic in his prime, Busquets in his prime, Iniesta was 31. He was, yeah, tail end of his prime. Still brilliant. Suarez and Messi in the prime and Neymar. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not going to give you credit for for that. You're not the one lifting the standard. You scored the third goal in the final. The game was over. You scored in the 97th minute. He doesn't do enough to aid winning. Yeah, he's won four league titles with PSG. This will be five this year. whoop de Like That's like getting a free toy with your Happy Meal. Same with your Coupe de France and your Coupe de League and whatever else. Like, they, they just don't impress me. You don't facilitate winning. There's, there hasn't been Champions League success at PSG with him. There hasn't been success for Brazil. So he can have the streets all he wants. But he's never once been the best player in the world. He's never once been the best player at his own club. Because he's gone to PSG and then Mbappe went there. And Mbappe's been better since the two of them went there. And now Messi's there. And at 36 or whatever age Messi is, he's still better than Neymar. So what are we meant to applaud here? And I, I saw him today, or yesterday, which is what brought this up, put in a conversation with Thierry Henry. And some idiot says, Thierry Henry wishes he had the prime of Neymar. When was Neymar's prime? Those two seasons at Barcelona, where at best, he's the fourth best player in the team, but realistically, the fifth best player in the team? That's his prime? That's what we get from this incredible talent. Is two seasons. With Messi and Suarez. That's his prime. Because I saw Thierry Henry's entire career. And I saw him be the best player the Premier League has ever seen. That's what I saw. That's what everybody saw. i see him get put into conversations with Kaka. Kaka was the best player in the world. Between Ronaldinho and Messi was Kaka, best player in the world. I see him put into conversations with Ronaldinho. No, just no. You you have to be joking. And there's nothing he's won that's more impressive than what Kaka and Ronaldinho did. Kaka won a Champions League as the best player in the team. Kaka was, didn't really play in the World Cup but was part of a World Cup winning squad. Won a Ballon d'Or which, by the way, Neymar has never done. Ronaldinho was a key part of a World Cup winning team. By far the best player in a Champions League winning team. And if Dino had cared half as much about football as he did about having a good time, he'd be standing up alongside Messi, Maradona, etc, etc. Because he had... He is the most naturally gifted player I've ever seen. And his prime at Barcelona was significantly better than Neymar's. I... This idea that Neymar is this all-timer—I mean, he's an all-time talent—but he hasn't produced enough. And just because he puts together a five-game run at the start of the season in in France, it's not going to put him into conversations with Messi and Kaka and Henri. He's a part-time player in his prime. In his prime, he's playing. 2,300 minutes a season. Season after season after season after season. In a league that's weak. In an era that's tailor-made for attacking players. Henri used to get booted up in the air. Ronaldinho people used to target his knees. Kaka the same. They played against great defenders. In an era where the game wasn't skewed towards attackers. It really, really does my head in. There's no questioning Neymar's talent. But what he's put together as a body of work on the pitch just doesn't cut just doesn't cut to him being one of the best players of all time. He's the most disappointing player for me ever. Because I remember reading about him when he came through at Santos at 16. And all of this talk about what he was going to be. And I remember seeing him play for Santos. And thinking this is special. This is something different. And then Barca spent all that money and brought him in. And it looked like he was getting ready to take the crown from Messi. And he didn't. He took the easy route. He took the money. And he proved he doesn't really care about the game. He cares about himself and about his brand. Because he should have been an old-timer. He should have been an old-timer. And he didn't have the heart for it. And he hasn't done it on the pitch. And you can show me all the compilations you want. But I'll show you the big games where time and again... He's either played and not shown up, or just not shown up, because he's got an injury. It's always interesting the way he gets injured every year around February, isn't it? We'll do the gossip and be out of here for today. Liverpool want to sign Manchester City midfielder Calvin Phillips in the summer. No, they don't. Chelsea will hold talks with Romelu Lukaku and will ask if he wants to revive his Blues career under Maurizio Pochettino. Do you know what? If Poch can get through to him and get him motivated, he's still, he's still a machine when it comes to scoring goals. But getting him motivated is the issue. Interim Chelsea boss Frank Lampard is open to speaking to Pochettino about the Blues squad to help the expected transition. Um, Frank hasn't really been there long enough to have made much judgement on the squad so I'd probably best just to swerve that I'm sure Pochettino who's been sat at home all season has probably watched enough and is probably aware of enough about these players to know what he's walking into uh, Mason Mount has one year left in his contract is, is yet to sign a new deal with Liverpool, Manchester United and Newcastle all interested Arsenal have been mentioned as well uh, my assumption is that he will actually sign a new deal now. I thought he was going to leave, but I actually think he's going to sign a new deal because I think Pochettino is the type of manager who will get the best of him. Tottenham, Chelsea and Manchester United are ready to swoop for Joe Poligna. He doesn't make any sense at all really for Spurs or for United. Now he is better than some of the midfielders at Spurs, but they've got a lot of those type of midfielders. He's not the type of holding midfielder I'd like to see at Chelsea next to Enzo but he would work well and it doesn't make any sense for United. They've already got Casemiro and I don't think they'll spend that much money in a backup. Chelsea are interested in Andre Onana and could use Kepa as part of a deal. Um, Are they trying to scare Inter Milan away from the negotiations? Dutch midfielder Ryan Gravenberch, who's been linked to Liverpool, says he wants more first-team football at Bayern next season. And he will wait to see what happens at the German club. You need to put in a bit more effort then, son. Newcastle boss Eddie Howe will have a transfer budget of up to £150 to spend. And Kieran Tierney is among his targets. Newcastle are monitoring Roma's Brazilian centre-back, Roger Ibanez. That would be a good signing. He's very, very underrated. And I could see him fitting well as a replacement for Fabian Scher. I I think that's if they could get him and Tierney, I think that would give them a very strong defense next season. And obviously, they've had the best in the league this season. Uh, Newcastle will consider selling Alan St. Maximum. Reece James' injury record, which I mentioned earlier on, could prevent Real Madrid from following up their interest. Barcelona are leaving no stone unturned in their bid to sign Lionel Messi. They're trying to figure out what's not nailed down so that they can sell it. Brentford boss Thomas Frank has dismissed rumours that Aaron Hickey could be heading for Manchester Manchester City this summer. Manchester United are close to agreeing a new contract with David De Gea. Interesting. Rangers are closing in on deal to sign Jack Butland, who has spent the season on loan from Manchester City Manchester United. Sorry, season on loan at Manchester United from Chris Pass. Hasn't been the season. He moved there in January. Um Would make sense for Butland, I think. His career hasn't worked. Jack Butland should have eighty England caps. Jack Butland, at 30 years of age, should be England number one and should be playing for one of the best teams in the country. But unfortunately for him, he never recovered from that horrendous broken ankle that he suffered at Stoke. He went to Stoke from Birmingham. He did a great loan at Cheltenham. Had an amazing season for Birmingham. Moved to Stoke. In his first two seasons there, they largely had him out on loan. Uh, I remember he was at Leeds on loan and was really good there. Then he went back to Stoke, had a brilliant first full season with them. And then he broke his ankle. And whoever performed the surgery botched it and they had to re-break his ankle, reset it and put in a bunch of new pins and stuff. And he never properly regained the flexibility and explosiveness that he had. And he's never been close to the same since. It's such a disappointment. Because he really did have the talent to establish himself as the next great English goalkeeper. Such a shame. Youngest ever goalkeeper for England. At 19. Ended up with nine caps. Similar to uh, Micka Richards in a lot of ways. Micka Richards, the youngest defender ever to play for England. And obviously... Regardless of Roy Keane's uh, dislike of the phrase burst onto the scene, Micka Richards did burst onto the scene and looked like he was going to be really, really special. Played for England at 18 and only ended up with 13 caps. All because, by his own admission, he bought into the hype. Now, he's to blame for his own downfall. Jack Bolton's not to blame for his. That is the result of really bad luck with an injury. Um, shame. Manchester United are ready to pay the €10 million euro release clause of Croatian goalkeeper Dominic Livakovic to sign him from Dinamo Zagreb. If that's his buyout clause, there'll be a bunch of clubs lining up for him. RB Leipzig have made a final contract offer to Dani Almo, um whose contract runs out next summer. He will be sold if he chooses not to sign it. Wrexham co-owner Rob McEl- McElhenney made a cheeky attempt to convince Gareth Bale to come out of retirement and play for the Red Dragons in League Two next season. Do you know, I, I would genuinely love if he did that. I would act- I would gain so much more respect. Like, I think he's he was an awesome player, but his career, again, just didn't become what it should have been. He is all the medals, though, so he won't care. But Gareth Bale the last what four years of his career, he's basically a part time player, um, because he wanted to play golf. But I would love to see him come back out of retirement and play for uh for Wrexham. And, you know, Aaron Ramsey has had a decent enough season at Nice. But maybe he could be convinced to come as well. That's it. That's all I've got for today. Thank you, as always, and I will see you all tomorrow. Enjoy the games tonight. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.